0: Eric Sean of the South, we're keeping our hands sharp with the help of Case Knives, the sponsor of this episode. A tradition of my family for generations, my granddaddy used to say the best cure for idle hands was to build something. But in today's day and age, everything's done with a click, a swipe, or a tap. But how about we put away the screens and put your hands to work with a case knife? You're listening to Sean of the South. We are coming to you live, and I'm your host, Sean Dietrich. That music you hear behind me is the Family Soul from Knoxville, Tennessee. Saw family, everybody. Saul. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm surprised that I'm up here right now. I really am. If you'd have told me that I'd be public speaking or that I would have my own radio show just five years ago, I would have called you a liar. I would have said you belonged at Circe, the nut house. I would have told you that there are tree stumps in South Louisiana with a higher IQ than mine. <laughs> but if you could see backstage right now, my wife, she's back there. And she's giving me the thumbs up. That woman has always given me the thumbs up. It was six years ago that I was laying tile in an old man's house. He had this, this room that was unnaturally large and empty, a single-story residence, and I was a handyman. I fixed small minor electrical problems or people's decks. I built decks and fences. I, this man called me to lay tile in his single-story house six years ago. I brought my tools over, I gave them an estimate, tile was delivered, I unloaded it from the truck, it was heavy, these were 16 inch ceramic pieces of tile that looked like travertine, imitation travertine, and I was halfway through the job, covered in sweat and dust and thin set plaster, which I'm mixing in the driveway with the drill. And I was cutting a piece of tile on the wet saw, and my hand slipped, and it went straight into my finger. The ceramic edge of the tile hit the bone. I could feel the vibration from the tile hitting the bone. It cut me. I started to see stars. I looked in the mirror, my face was white in that old man's bathroom. He called my wife. My wife came over to check on me and she took me to the ER. I thought for sure I was going to lose my damn finger. I sat in the waiting room with a blood-soaked rag over my my finger. My wife tried to make pleasant conversation. She said, do you know about the revival that's come to town? Well, I did know about it. I knew about the revival. There was a big tent just up by the interstate. And it was in Miss Edith's alfalfa field, or at least the alfalfa field used to belong to Miss Edith. And there was this big tent in that field which glowed orange against the night sky. Whenever you drove along the interstate, you could see it. They were only going to be there for a few weeks, I guess. Some out-of-town outfit selling the gospel to whoever would come in and put money in their buckets. That's what I thought. She said, "I was thinking of going. What do you think?" And while I held this blood-stained rag against my finger, which was sliced open like a hot dog that had had a disagreement with a butter knife, I said, "Are you out of your mind?" I don't care a thing about what some holiness preacher has to say at some godless revival where all they do is want your money. She said, "Okay, well it was just a thought." Truth be told, I wasn't in a good place. I didn't like my life. I didn't like my life at all. I didn't like working in the day, doing petty jobs and wondering if people would keep calling me. And then after work, I would go and I would play music at an all-you-can-eat crab leg joint. The doctor saw me, and he looked at my finger, and he said, This is going to hurt a lot, boy. (laughs) And he gave me a wash rag to place between my teeth to bite on bit on that wash rag while he shoved a toothpick sized needle straight into my fingertip and my wife was holding my other hand so tight that she almost broke my fingers 25 stitches he put my finger and the next day i showed up to work though i don't know why my hand was so bandaged up there was absolutely no way that i was going to be able to lay tile in that old man's house And I knew I would probably lose money, a lot of money because I'd have to hire someone to finish my job for me. And while I thought these thoughts, I was looking at the wet saw which sat in the driveway. The wet saw was just looking at me and I kicked the leg that it stood on and I cussed using a word that begins with the 16th letter of the alphabet while i did that i heard a car behind me and i looked and i turned to see my wife's vehicle a chevy silverado pull up behind me and she jumped out and she was dressed in work clothes she said i'm here to do whatever you need i taught her how to use the wet saw since she had two good hands she cut tile and i laid it i taught her how to put the spacers between the the grout joints i taught her how to level each slab of phony travertine i taught her how to cut and lay cord around and hold it in place while i used the nail gun my wife and i that woman believes in me to a fault and always has, even though I could not pour piss out of a boot with the directions written on the heel. <laughs> that night we went to Cracker Barrel for supper, an early supper. Because as soon as I was done eating, I had to go across town to this all-you-can-eat crab leg joint and play the guitar for just a little extra money. It was a Thursday night, and Thursday nights were slow, but in tips is $20 more than you had before. We ate supper at this Cracker Barrel. I was covered in dust and grout, and so was she. She had white dust all in her brunette hair. She had the collards, the macaroni and cheese, the sweet potato pie. I had the turkey and the stuffing. When we were finished, we parted ways. She went home, and I drove... To the aforementioned all-you-can-eat crab leg joint, I showed up. There were four people in the building total, counting the bartender and the waitress. The waitress and the bartender were playing tic-tac-toe on a cocktail napkin. And the customers were gorging themselves in all-you-can-eat Alaskan crab. And I was trying to hold my guitar pick in my right hand between my pinky finger and my ring finger bandaged up with roughly an inch worth of gauze and i have never felt as low as i did at that moment i stopped what i was doing because it was too painful to play the guitar at all and because i had the microphone pressed in front of my face a lot like i do now i told a story it was the first time I had ever done such a thing in public, telling a story like this. I told a story about my life, about my late father, about my hard-working mother, and about a wife who was made of steel who would not let me fail. no way, no how. And the people didn't pay a whole lot of attention to me. The story lasted about 20 minutes. I shed a few tears in the middle of it. I cried a little bit. When it was finished, the bartender, who we called Chief, came up to me and he put his arms around me and he had wet eyes too. He dropped a 50 in my tip bucket. He said, keep telling your stories. Keep telling your stories no matter what. The next day I woke up, I told my wife that I wanted to go to that revival service in that field. She said, what? You hate revivals. You hate this sort of thing. And it's true. I have a feeling that every preacher is out to get me. I have been to my share of Southern Baptist churches. I have been to my share of Pentecostal churches. I have even once or twice darkened the doors of an Episcopal congregation. But something in me wanted to go, and so that night we went, pulled in past this livestock gate, and there was a big man wearing a reflective vest. He was large. He was about five foot seven wide. He had a glowing wand in his hand, and he was directing people to parking places in this field behind the tent. I've been to my share of SEC football games, and I know that there is no such thing in this planet as free parking. I expected him to tell me that it was going to be a lot of money to find a parking place. He said, no, no, parking's free. Don't be silly. I ran over so many bumps and crooks in that field that it almost rattled my truck apart. And I told my wife right after I shut off the car, this was a bad idea. She said, no, it's not. Let's just go have fun. I said, I can tell you exactly what's going to happen in there. I said, I know exactly how it's going to go. They're going to pass these buckets around somewhere in the middle of this thing. These buckets are going to be the kinds of buckets that that you put an extra large popcorn order in at the movie theater. They will pass these around to people, innocent people, who don't have much to their name and in their bank accounts. People who are still making payments on their cars. People who wear plaid shirts tucked in to old faded blue jeans and boots that are a little bit too dusty who work hard for a living are going to be reaching into their pockets and throwing their own hard-earned money in these buckets for these fat, swindling preachers with very, very big hair. (laughs) And my wife said, aren't you a breath of fresh air, sunshine? we hopped out of the truck we walked across the field toward that glowing tent in the distance we got closer and closer and the ushers were standing at the tent flaps they were men who were dressed in t-shirts and jeans one man opened up the tent flap he handed me a little flyer he said God bless you thanks for coming tonight and I looked all throughout that tent for popcorn buckets my wife, she, she found a seat near the back. The place was thumping. Their little stage was filled to the brim to where it looked like it was a fire marshal violation with musicians who were holding all sorts of instruments. There was a man playing the upright bass. There was a banjo player. There was a man playing the trombone. There was an accordionist. People were clapping. These were Pentecostal people, I could tell, because... Pentecostals are the only denomination who claps on two and four. (laughs) Baptists and Methodists are known for clapping on one and three. And my wife was clapping right along. God bless her. She was just like me, raised Southern Baptist. She was clapping on one and three. She was the only pair of hands out of sync with the rest of the room. (laughs) After the music portion... Everybody sat down. I told my wife, I said, let's go. Let's go now before they start asking for money. She said, just hush. Just hush. A preacher man got on the stage. He was your average holiness preacher. He had tall hair, he had a very bright gold watch on. I could pick a Pentecostal preacher out of a lineup. But this man did not get up and shout and scream like the preachers I've seen before. He spoke in a gentle voice. He said, tonight we have a few people who'd like to tell you their stories. The first person to make their way to the stage was a woman. She told us about her son and her daughter. They had been driving home from Nashville, Tennessee. They had been granted a recording contract. It was the biggest thing to ever happen in their lives. They were teenagers. They'd called their mother to tell her the good news, and on the way home, their car skidded beneath an 18-wheeler. It took the, the dome off the car, and it decapitated her children. The highway patrolman called her. She said, My life since my children have died has been the hardest thing to endure. Just daily life has been tough. But now I feel like I'm beginning to see why they were put on this earth. They were put on this earth to remind me that life is short. She got off the stage and I wondered why they'd let this woman tell her story. There was absolutely nothing redemptive about it. Normally a good Southern Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist story ends with an upswing. It ends with a, and then I saw the light, and, and then I walk down, and I receive salvation for the 13th time of my life, and this is, you know, amen, hallelujah, pass the ammunition. But this woman was just telling her own story. Another man got up after her. He was a used car salesman at one time. It started out small. He was just buying second-hand vehicles from friends, and he was restoring them in his old work shed behind his house, and selling them for a profit. And his operation grew, and it grew until he had a used car lot. And then his used car lot grew into the kind of operation where he was buying new vehicles and selling them at a considerable markup, and he became wealthy. And then his business tanked and went completely bankrupt. And he lost it all. He lost his house. He lost his wife. He lost his kids. And he was living in an RV in the rear of a friend's house. And he said over the microphone, I am so grateful for my life, for the lessons God's been teaching me. Because I was so proud. I was such a proud man. And I I had this cockeyed idea that my success was my own success. And now I see that it was just a gift. I'm so much more humble than I was before, and I needed that, and I'm grateful. After him, a man came to the stage. He had been in prison before. He had been in prison for being present during an armed robbery. He was in the car at the time. He had no idea what was going on, but he went to prison, and he told us of the horrors that he had experienced inside prison. And everybody listened with their jaw open while nothing but pure honesty came out of his mouth. He finished his story by saying, I am so happy with my life now that I'm out. They would not believe how good it feels to be free. I'm not a success. I don't have much money. But I'm free. And I'm healthy. And I'm alive and I'm grateful for it. And he sat down. A boy came up to the stage after him. I will never forget him. He was missing his right arm. This boy took the microphone and he sang a song for everybody. The song was, What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arm. And everybody started singing with him. He was singing a song about arms, even though he was missing one of his own. He was in a car accident with his mother. His mother did not survive. He did. He was in a coma for a little while. And when he came out of the coma, he was an orphan. He was in a foster system for a little while. And then he was adopted by a family. One day at church, the pastor of that church, had become so overwhelmed by the sunniness of this child's disposition that he handed that boy a microphone, he invited him on the stage, and that boy told his story, and it it changed everybody who heard it. To see a child maintain in the face of the swells of life that beat us down and make us sad. I have never heard a child preach before, not like this. This child was telling us that we have so much to be grateful for, that we have things in our life and people in our life that are the greatest blessings heaven has ever produced and they are right here with us all the time, but we cannot see them because we choose not to because of our own selfishness. And it seemed as if that boy was talking to me. And I was starting to feel something. Even though I was in the middle of a holiness revival tent, I was starting to feel something in my belly something good and while I was sitting there listening to that boy preach that all changed because in the back of the tent I saw people passing these popcorn buckets around (laughs) they passed them around like a beach ball at a baseball game And people were digging deep into their pockets just like I'd known they would. And they were filling these buckets to the brim. These buckets had become so heavy with cash and change and checks that they were heavy to lift. And when the bucket passed me, the lady beside me just watched me closely with the eyes of an eagle. And I just kept that bucket moving without putting a thing in it. After those buckets had made their way through the crowd, the preacher got onto the stage and he said, We're going to do a little prayer time. And I told James, I said, let's get up and go. I don't need to see this. I've seen enough holiness people in my day. They, they stand up and they shout gibberish into the air. I had a friend who had tried to speak in tongues once. The preacher had laid his hand on my friend's throat and he said, just start moving your mouth. And my friend started moving his mouth. And my friend says he was trying and searching for the words that, and the preacher said just move your mouth son move your mouth and my friend opened his mouth and said love exciting and new come aboard we're expecting you the love boat soon we'll be making another run I told my wife let's go she said no let's watch I watched people come down for prayer. I watched that preacher remove his sport coat and roll his sleeves up. He placed his big meaty hand with that large gold ring on his ring finger on the head of a girl who looked maybe 16 or 17. And she had a distended belly. She was as pregnant as pregnant could be. And this man prayed for her and said, This is your daughter, Jesus. And then there was another man who came up. And the preacher put his hands on the temples of this old man's head. And he said, kill this cancer, Lord, by the roots. And the people "Amen!" and they hollered. And there were all sorts of words floating around this tent that I could not recognize. Another man came up. And he was using a cane that was made from the root of an old tree with a tennis ball on the bottom. And the preacher said, dear Lord... Help my brother's arthritis. And he took that cane and he set it down. And he got on his knees and he placed both hands on that man's knee joint. And he prayed so hard that tears started to come down the corners of his eyes. And that man walked back to his seat without that cane. And this went on and this went on. And when the prayers finished, the preacher took the microphone. He called the old woman up to play the piano. It was a small upright pianist sitting on that stage. And she played this out-of-tune thing while the preacher said to the audience, we're going to pass these buckets around again. And I looked at my wife and I said, here we go. <laughs> they didn't get enough the first time. Now they've got to go another round. My wife told me to hush. The preacher kept on. He said, we're going to pass these buckets around only this time. If you need something, take it out of the bucket." Take it and put it in your pocket, as much as you need. If you need to pay your car bill, take the money. If you need to pay your mortgage and you might not make it on time, take the money. This money doesn't belong to me, it belongs to you. And we are here to help each other. Well, I believe the correct term for what I was doing at that particular moment in my life is eating my foot. I felt so guilty for having a judgment formed in my head about this group of people who decided to gather in this tent that I stood up with my wife and I made my way toward the door. And the usher stopped me before I left. He was holding a popcorn bucket. And I expected him to ask me for something. But he didn't. He said, how much do you need? I said, I... I'm sorry he said how much do you need take whatever you need out of this bucket I said sir I don't need anything I'm good he reached in and he handed a 20 to my wife he handed a 20 to me and he placed his arms around us and he said a prayer I've never heard a prayer like this before all my life prayers start one way they start with the words, Dear Lord, or Oh Father, and they end with certain words, Amen. In Jesus' name, Amen. In Christ's name, we pray, Amen. There are rules for this sort of thing. That's how Judeo-Christians, Southern Baptists, Methodists, Episcopals, Lutherans, and whatever other denomination you can think of, that's how we pray. This man didn't pray that way. And when he finished, instead of saying Amen, he just kissed my wife's cheek He shook my hand and he said, I love you both. I walked out to my truck and I thought about what I'd just seen. I came there that night expecting to see a bunch of crazies and to be entertained by it. What I got was a bunch of people telling me their stories. Stories about how you can make it even when you don't think you can. Stories about how when people don't think... They have enough in their bank account to carry on. There are other people in this world who will dig into their pockets and they will give you what they own to help you make it to your mark. My wife pet my head and she said, that was fun, wasn't it? We drove away through that bumpy field that nearly rattled my truck apart. There was an usher standing by the livestock gate with his glowing wand. He was waving me into the highway and while I drove home I decided that very night that no matter what my life might be or look like that I would do what my good friend the bartender told me I would tell stories thank you who was listening on the radio thank you who's sitting in the audience tonight Thank you for listening to mine this evening. Thanks for listening, Sean of the South. I've been your host, Sean Dietrich, and it has been a real pleasure. The music here behind me is the Sow family, winner of the KSMU Bluegrass Contest in Branson, Missouri. Jacob, Joshua, Naomi, Abigail, John, Mark, and Cindy, their mama, singing harmony. To find anything more about them, visit thefamilysow.com. Check out their new album, The Shadowlands. It's available on every major outlet online you can think of. Find anything more about what I do, you can visit SeanOfTheSouth.com. And while you're there, I hope you drop me a line because I love to hear from my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, laughter truly is the best medicine. But if you should find yourself laughing without any given reason, you truly might need medicine.